Everybody, welcome to our new podcast. This is Teaching Moments with Craig and Kirk. Yeah. Kirk and Craig. I'm Kirk Faulkner. Craig Faulkner here. And we are going to get together and we're going to teach each other things. We both have different interests and different backgrounds, but we're both very interested to know what the other person has to say. And Yeah, and I think what is one of the unique things about this, of course, is just you and I, mm-hmm. but also our relationship. I'm the dad, you're the son. Yeah. I've been teaching for years the family. Your job has been a form of teaching as well. It really has. Really, I'm excited because now we are just throwing off the gloves and saying, we're really not saying let's stop teaching each other, but we're saying let's... Let's bring other people in. Let's bring other people in. Let's open it up. Yeah. Let's open up the teaching moments. So we had a big brainstorming session where we were thinking about all of the different topics that each of us could talk about. We just talked about this, but we could go over a few of the topics that we thought would be interesting. I know that you, for example, are very knowledgeable about marketing. You've run a couple marketing companies. Right. You know, I'm excited to share my experiences that I've had as a professional marketer for, you know, a 35-year period of time and really try to tie some of the, quote, old school philosophies into the current thought process that goes into digital marketing today, because there are so many really strong parallels. And so that's one thing that I'm going to be really passionate teaching about, but I'd like to go way beyond that. And on top of that, not only did you have a marketing company, but you just had a company. You are a serial entrepreneur, I believe it would be referred to as. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people are very interested in starting companies, running companies, what it takes to get something off the ground and all of the things behind that. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great alleyways and avenues to go down on that. We'll get into some specifics on how do you finance, when or how do you know that you've got a winning idea or concept, when should you bail, when should you (laughs) stop pouring money into an enterprise. I mean, there's a lot of paths that we can go down. And on kind of the flip side of the coin that I think will be exciting for our listening audience is going to be your perspective on marketing, your Mm -hmm. perspective on content creation. Of course, that is so important in business today. Of course, something that I know you're super passionate about that the listening audience will enjoy is what you've done with your stand-up comedy, with your improv, storytelling. I think that is so cool because it really ties into content creation. It's just another way of delivering content, right? Yeah, just to qualify myself a little bit, I started doing stand-up in 2008. So I've been doing it for 10 years. I did it for eight years out in New York City. I uh, produced a couple comedy shows out there. I've also been pretty active in the improv community, both in New York and here in San Diego. Done sketch comedy. I've also been in a lot of storytelling shows and programs around the focus on just getting up and relating a narrative. Both the performance and also the creation of that type of material is something that I've spent a little bit of time thinking about and learned about a couple different ways. Well, I think what will be exciting is, as you teach from those areas, how does it apply to me and how can I use some of those principles? In fact, for this episode, I think you're going to teach us a little bit about improv. I am going to teach about improv. into it. Yeah. When I moved back from New York to San Diego... I kept doing stand-up a little bit, but I quickly got more interested in the improv scene out here. I hadn't really taken improv all that seriously in New York. 
stand-up comedians and improv comedians are a little bit like the sharks and the jets. They don't really <laughs> like each other all that much. It's a much different attitude between the two comedy styles. Stand-up is all about the, the one person standing on stage. You're very prepared for it. Everything is written out. You know exactly how every joke goes and the best way to get it out. Improv is the exact opposite. You get up, you have no idea what's going to happen. You just have to trust that something's going to come together. And you're very focused on the other people. In fact, more focused in some ways on them than you are on yourself. An example of someone that was a genius at improv would be a guy like Robin Williams. Robin Williams, like he couldn't turn off the improv. You couldn't shut him down. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, well, what about Steve Martin? Was Steve Martin more, uh, you know, a stand-up comedian? He had a very specific routine. Yeah. Steve Martin is famous for his stand-up act and he really blew open what stand-up was. And in fact, his book, Born Standing Up, is I think one of the best stand-up biographies I've ever read, autobiographies. And it really gets into his process in creating that act. But at the same time, really good comedians have a little bit of both to them right you know a really good stand-up knows how to improv and you see that especially when they handle like hecklers or something that they didn't expect to happen and i think that really good improv comedians they also have a sense of being able to get up and deliver and they understand a lot of that same thing now i don't know if you know much about where improv comes from there was a guy named del close who was a teacher he was an acting teacher in chicago at a place called second city And he started to teach this form of improv. I mean, people used improv in acting back in the day. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, actors would get up and improv a scene. But he was the first person who really saw a new art form coming out of it. And he worked with a bunch of people who later all went on to start different organizations and television shows, a lot of who ended up being in Saturday Night Live. And he worked... Yeah, a lot of the comedians came from... Out of Chicago, right? Yeah, out of Chicago, right. And they came up with this whole school of thought around improv. And one of the main tenets of improv, one of like the main ideas from the very beginning is this thing called group mind. And the idea is that when you are in sync with a bunch of people, the ideas that you come up with together are bigger than just the sum of all your parts. You come up with ideas that are bigger and grander than any one of you could have come up with, but even like the creation that happens when everybody's mind comes together is something very special. You're able to communicate in a way that is not telepathic, but feels like it's telepathic, you know? Well, I mean, that sounds almost like a definition of a brainstorming session, right? We have done brainstorming in business. We've done brainstorming in family settings, mm-hmm. in social settings, service clubs, et cetera, where you're trying to come up with the idea that is going to capture the minds and the imaginations of an organization. Yeah. And when I think about the application for improv in business, it is that. Right. It's in the creation part of business. Mm-hmm. You know, like I work at an office right now and it is a little bit hard sometimes to just turn on creativity in the middle of the day when you have all of these other things going on. And I think some of the concepts of improv, if you just focus on them, it's a good way to all of a sudden open up that creative stream in the middle of an office building that maybe didn't feel like the most creative place before. Okay. So Kirk, would it be fair to say what you're going to teach us is going to help us in business. Yeah, You're going to give us some skills that will help us interact and relate and perhaps lead group discussions a little more effectively. Yeah. I would say in any group dynamic, I think that there's a lot that could be taken from this. I would even say that this has some application to just relationships between Uh people in the way that you look at how your life unfolds, because your life really is like an act of creation as you go forward. And the people that are around you can either 
be passive participants in it or they can be active participants in it. One of the things that you don't want to do in improv is you don't want one person running the whole show. Everybody's got to play a role in it. So that's going to be a big aspect of this too. I got five rules of improv. Serve it up. Teach me. Okay. So (laughs) the first rule of improv, anybody who's ever heard any rule of improv has heard this rule. And it's a very simple concept. It's called yes and. The idea in improv is like if we were doing an improv set, you know, you walk out on stage, you have no idea what the reality is that you're walking out into. The first thing that a person says, and even before they say anything, the way they're walking, the way their face looks, everything about them is communicating something. The other person is completely accepting everything that the other person is communicating as a reality. So they're saying yes to whatever the other person gives them. So if they walk out and they say, man, these elephants are uh, really running fast today, you accept the fact that you're in a place where there are elephants that are running fast for whatever reason. Yes, and doesn't that make you hungry? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So then that's the other part is that you say, and you take that reality that's been presented to you and you build on it. I studied with the Upright Citizens Brigade, which is one of the big improv schools, and they have on their crest... In Latin, it says, I can't really read Latin, but it says, Si haec in salita res vera est, quid exinde verum est, which means, if this is true, then what else is true? Yeah. So that's what you ask yourself. That's the and in yes and. So I give you what we would call a gift is just some fact about either you or me or the reality we're living in. You accept that gift and then you build on it. And the application for that in brainstorming is, pretty obvious. It's an attitude. It's funny how hard it is to maintain all the time. You see it on improv stages every now and then. Every now and then somebody completely drops it and says no to something. And it's almost like a record scratch. You know, like (laughs) I was in a scene and my friend Matt came through the door and he said, oh my gosh, he's a scoutmaster. I need you to help me start this fire or something. And I said, oh, I'm not your scoutmaster. And it was like the whole scene just just dropped. And I went, oh my gosh, what did I do? So... That's the first thing that you want to do is make sure that you're yes-handing. Well, before we go on, I can see, you know, immediately a great application for that. You're sitting around in a business meeting. And so many times what happens in business meetings, I mean, if you've got a half a dozen people in a business meeting, a lot of times you'll have a vibe where people are just waiting for the person that's talking to stop talking so they can say what's on their mind. Right. A good way to protect yourself from falling into that trap, which is very, very counterproductive in any kind of group setting, is yes then. You agree, you accept what they've said, and you can elaborate on it and then tie that into either the direction that you were thinking or how their idea sparked a new idea. Yeah, There's nothing more of a turnoff for me being in a meeting where someone will come in, cut me off, and want to ramrod their opinion on me and is obviously not listening and actively participating. One of the things that happens a lot in business and really just in every aspect of life is you'll have an idea in your head. You'll have thought out, okay, I'm going to do this and then we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll do this. And the thing that's difficult with yes and is, and this actually goes into our next point, which is to act and to react. Because I can say something and then have the next couple thoughts like already built out, but you can come back and say something that takes us in a completely different direction. And what I would say most people's normal reaction to that is to try to get back onto their first direction. So if I'm like, oh, we're going to be talking about birds, and then you come in and say, oh, we're going to talk about burritos. 
my natural inclination is often be like, well, let's get back to birds. Right. You know? Right. If you're yes anding and if you are acting and reacting to what is happening, you need to follow the line where it goes. So when I say act and react, there's two big things here. One is you need to make real choices. Come in and make a choice that's bold, that changes things, that advances things. You can't just be a passive player. But at the same time, when someone makes a choice, you need to honestly react to that choice, not to what you have going on in your head. So you need to be in that moment acting and reacting. It seems very obvious, but it's actually incredibly difficult to do. Right. Okay. So yes, and, and then the second principle here is act and react. I'm trying to get a practical application. It's not just jumping off the page for me. We can keep bringing it back to um, business. So imagine you're an intern Mm -hmm. in a meeting. Say there's an intern, a bunch of employees, and the boss of the company all in a meeting. Kind of the way that things are going to roll is the boss is going to say some stuff, and that's going to set the tone of the meeting. And then there's going to be this hierarchy of people who either kind of agree, maybe challenge the boss a little bit if they're here or there, you know, all the way down. And then the intern should probably just shut up and not say anything. But if you really wanted like a truly creative environment, everybody who comes into that meeting needs to be heard. And when somebody says something in that meeting, it needs to be taken seriously and reacted to. So if the intern comes in and says, hey, what if we painted the product blue? The boss of the company should listen to that idea. And they don't have to accept the idea and go out and paint the product blue, but they need to react to that idea in an honest and straightforward manner. It needs to have its say in that place. That's a great example. Yeah. Not that I think the product ought to be blue, but I like the idea of thinking about the product in a different light, yeah. in a different color. And yeah, that's great. We've all had that experience of like saying something and it's almost like nothing happened. Like everybody just kind of <laughs> looks at you and then just kind of moves on. Keep on talking. Yeah. It's not a good feeling and it doesn't lead to creativity. Yeah. And when that happens to you and it's happened to all of us in a group setting is whoever's leading the discussion are responsible for that meeting is in essence teaching you not to participate. They're saying, we really don't value your participation And boy, you don't have productive meetings when that happens. No. I like this act and react. I'm thinking about, you know, raising kids. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of our uh, listening audience, you know, have young kids. And think about acting and reacting when you're sitting around the dinner table or when you're having a conversation with a young kid. Acting and reacting and really showing the youngster that you're talking to that what they say delights you and reacting It could be in a playful way. It could be in a rewarding way. That is a really nice way to encourage, whether it's a toddler or a kid that's six years old or a teenager, is really encouraging that child that you're talking to. When they talk, you're listening, and they can identify that because you're acting and you're reacting. That's great. Kids are in the process of creating their own mind and their own world and everything. And when you actually engage with them, if you act and react with them, you take a role in that process. You actually help them build it all out. This all leads into this concept, which is really important, which is make everyone else look good is the third one. Before you go on stage, I don't know where this comes from, but in every improv class or team or anything I've ever been on, right before you go on stage, everybody does this thing where they go around and they pat each other on the back and they say, I got your back. 
and it's the last thing that you say to everybody right before you get on stage. Yeah. First off, it's awesome because you're all nervous and you're going up on stage without anything <laughs> planned. And it's just nice to know there's a group of people there who are going to support you and aren't just going to dangle you out to uh, wave in the wind right, right. if something goes wrong. There's actually a movie that came out a couple of years ago called Don't Think Twice, and it was about an improv team. The point of the movie is that one of the players on the team starts to get popular, and he ends up getting on like a Saturday Night Live or something. But as he gets more popular, he stops supporting the other people on the team, and he'll just do like you know an impression, whether or not it fits in the scene or not. And it kind of causes the whole team to collapse. Because when you go out and you are purposely making sure that everyone else is a success on your team, not worrying about being a success yourself, but making sure everybody else is succeeding, then every single person has several people making sure they succeed, then everybody succeeds. Wow. These are great communication principles, great principles to govern a family discussion by a discussion at work, outside work. I've got your back. That's awesome. There's nothing worse than being around a friend or a group of people where you are continually thrown under the bus. It's the worst. It's the worst feeling. We've all been there, and hopefully we all haven't done it. We all have done it, We've all right? done it, yeah. But really saying to yourself, okay, I've got your back. And I know when I go into a group setting many times over the years, tensions can run high, but tensions should never give you license to throw someone under the bus, to yeah. demean someone, to use something that they've said or done in the past, bring that up in some sort of hurtful way. That is another way to stifle any kind of creativity, stifle any loyalty that you would hope to build, any esprit de corps that you want to build in your family. That is going to kill it if and you don't have people's back. Competition lives in business, and businesses need to be competitive to survive and everything. But that competitive nature inside an environment where you're trying to be creative just shuts everything down because then people are afraid to come out with their ideas. They're afraid to take a risk. They don't want to find themselves out on some limb, you know, without any support. So they won't, and then nothing comes of it. So having each other's back is just a way to like create an environment where this fourth principle can come through, and that is to be truthful and vulnerable, which doesn't sound very funny. (laughs) It's interesting. This is all leading to comedy, but Uh none of this sounds like being funny. And one of the interesting things about improv is, it's a big point, is don't come in trying to be funny. You're really not supposed to be funny. You're supposed to come in and be as honest with your opinions as the situation would dictate those opinions. Uh Uh-huh. And also to kind of put yourself in a position where that honesty can come out in a vulnerable way. So one of the things that people talk about, for example, is always playing to the top of your intelligence. Always come in and don't play dumb. Like if I'm playing a kid, I don't want to play like a stupid little kid. I'll try to imbue him with some intelligence. You know, if I'm playing a man, like I don't want to pretend like I don't understand how a door works or whatever. I mean, you come in and try to be an honest representation as close as you can. And the funny thing about this is that because you're in an imaginary scene and the circumstances will often get pretty ridiculous, playing it as honest and vulnerable as possible makes it way funnier than if you're just trying to ham it up. 
Right. So there are two components to this principle number four, be truthful and be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So the vulnerability is an interesting concept because none of us really like to be that vulnerable in a one-on-one relationship, Mm -hmm. right? It's really hard to be vulnerable when you go into a group setting, when you go into a family setting, any kind of social setting. You have to suck it up just a little bit to be vulnerable and to let... People know that, you know, you don't understand or that perhaps what was said didn't really sit well with you, not in any kind of hostile way, but just to let people really know how you're feeling. How does that work in improv? I find that kind of an interesting concept. You know, it's interesting. I think a big part of it is that you just can't constantly be hiding behind. You know, it's funny because I say you can't be hiding behind like a character, but you are often playing a character. But you want to be playing that character as real as that character can be. I mean, even if that character's a Martian with two heads, you got to be the realest Martian with two heads (laughs) that you can and just kind of be open to that. And I think that being honest about who you are and what you think and your opinions and what makes you weird and what your shortcomings are and just everything about you and filtering that through whatever point of view you're looking at, obviously, but being right there and being completely open just all of a sudden makes everything feel so much more genuine. Everything becomes genuine, I guess is the big word. Okay. Great principles. Number five. Number five. Once you're truthful and once you're vulnerable, one of the things that's going to happen is there's going to be mistakes. Number five is there are no mistakes. In a truly creative situation, there is no mistake. Every step builds on what is happening. Now, that doesn't mean every step is all in line with each other and there can be changes of direction. You know, there could be backtracking, there can be all kinds of stuff. But if you accept everything that happens as part of the journey and as part of the whole, then all of a sudden the whole process becomes like one big thing. And nobody feels bad about the time they said this one thing and maybe it didn't fit in with everything else or that they had this idea or they took it this way or whatever. One of my favorite things that people do in improv is sometimes, you know, when people are talking, they'll stumble with their words and they'll accidentally say a word that sounds similar to the word that they meant to say. Banana versus bandana. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, I'm going to put on my banana today. Right. What I love is when that happens in improv and the person listening to them says, okay, he said banana, he's wearing a banana now. Then all of a sudden their mistake has become part of the reality. And then all of a sudden this reality takes a completely different direction. It's built out more. The fun of improv is when things get crazy and become what we call heightened. There's also another concept called the game, which is kind of the interesting thing about each scene. And often the interesting thing about a scene will come from a mistake or it will come from some little idiosyncrasy that popped up because somebody was willing to be vulnerable and truthful often. So accepting that often leads to the big discovery. Well, I'm sitting here smiling because the fifth principle, there are no mistakes. I think of all the brainstorming sessions that I've been in over so many years, decades and decades of of business and trying to come up with creative ideas. And I have been guilty many times saying, I know there aren't any bad ideas in brainstorming, but that really was a bad idea. (laughs) And honestly, I would say that at the expense of somebody throwing them under the bus. But when I've said that in brainstorming meetings, I really do stifle creativity. And it's not a good thing to say. And think about that principle. There are no mistakes. Think if in your family, 
Yeah. You felt like you could say things and you could bring up issues when you're young, when you're going through your teenage years, that you could bring up ideas or concepts, principles, and you knew you're in a safe environment and it wasn't going to be deemed as a mistake. I mean, that would be a great environment to be in. And we aspire to do that, but that's a hard thing to do. It's hard to do, but when people are allowed to make mistakes, they aren't afraid to you know, fix mistakes. I mean, like, that's right. If you can make a mistake, then like all of a sudden you can turn around to somebody and tell them, oh, you know what? I'm kind of thinking from what you're talking about right now about like a kid and their parents. If a kid is terrified to make a mistake to a parent, when something happens that is out of the norm, they're scared to talk about it. Right. And that's how a lot of bad things happen is when that yes. communication gets shut down. I mean, it doesn't take long to come up with about seven bad scenarios. Like, <laughs> exactly. If that communication isn't happening between two people. But back to the business side of it, say you're in a brainstorm and I say something and you as the arbiter of the brainstorm think it's a mistake and you do the classic thing where like you've been writing down everybody's idea and I give you an idea and it doesn't make it up on the right, board. Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm not saying anything else. I That's didn't right. make it up on the board. You know, I don't want to be that guy. And then who knows if my bad idea or my idea that didn't quite fit five ideas from now, what if that came back around and all of a sudden is going to inform something, you know, you never know what building block is going to come back in. Well, what I love about this discussion, Kirk, these five guidelines to improv really have a direct application in your day-to-day -day life when you're communicating, when you're involved in any type of group activity, regardless of what type of activity that is. I mean, we've mentioned business a number of times, but I think these five principles have such a strong application with your interpersonal relationships, yeah. which really are way more important than just applying the principles in business, right? I mean, yeah. figuring out how to apply these principles and having fun with them and helping build other people up, helping other people succeed with their thought process, having other people feel like they're well accepted and can succeed in a discussion with you or in an environment where you're participating with other people discussing things, I think is really exciting. I think what has been most transformative to me about improv is it completely changes the way that you value both your own ideas and intuition and the ideas and intuition of other people. Because I feel like there's this cynicism and skepticism that is just prevalent in everything you do and everywhere you go where it's almost like everything that's going to come out of anybody's mouth is going to be stupid and everybody's dumb and everybody on the freeway is an idiot. And there's this whole animosity going on just with like the whole world. <laughs> well, everybody's mad. Everybody's mad, you know? <laughs> and all of a sudden you start doing improv and you start trusting that what's going to come out of your mouth is going to be the right thing. And that what's going to come out of somebody else's mouth is going to be valuable. The idea you have is going to contribute to the bigger, better. And what the people around me are going to say is going to be interesting. And I'm going to be able to use that. And we're going to be able to create something together. And everything all of a sudden becomes this big, positive, rolling wave of energy that's just building on itself and going bigger and bigger. And it just makes everything feel a lot more exciting yeah, and yeah. you don't feel as angry or as kind of attacked or on guard all the time. It really is like a different way of looking at things. It takes a lot of practice though. It doesn't come naturally right away. Okay. 
Review the five principles. All right. So the first one, big one, you say yes and. You accept the reality and then you build upon it. The way that you build upon the reality is you start acting, you make decisions, you make big choices, and then you react to other people's big choices. You want to make sure that you're making everybody look good. You know, you got their back. Then you want to be truthful and vulnerable. Put yourself in a vulnerable position and be as truthful as you can and accept that there are no mistakes. There are no mistakes. Awesome. What would be a good book for our audience to look at so they can review these principles? Has anything come to your mind? I know you've got a book sitting here. I do got a book sitting here. There is a book that I would recommend. It's called Truth and Comedy. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Truth and Comedy. Yeah, it's called Truth and Comedy. And it was written by one of Del Close's students. And it goes through the philosophy of what they came up with, but also a lot of the rules and a lot of the games that they would play to like get themselves in the right spot. But I think if you really wanted to understand what improv was really about, that's what I would go for. The book that I have in front of me is called The Comedy Improvisation Manual, and it's put out by the Upright Citizens Brigade. This is almost like a textbook okay. for really getting into right, it. Right. But I would say the best way to learn about improv is to go on the internet right now, type the name of your city and improv, and I guarantee you there's some theater within 100 miles of you that is offering an introductory improv class. Just go take an improv class, be open to it, go try to see what happens, you know, and see what it feels like to put yourself in that position where you are going to uh, not know what you're going to say and you say something anyway. Yeah. Well, I love those principles. I think they're not exclusive to improv. They have a very, very broad application. And this has been a great teaching moment. All right. I got one more challenge for you before we get off. Okay. Would you want to try an improv scene with me? Uh, Let's do it right now. Okay. So usually for improv, the first thing you do is you get a suggestion from the audience. The suggestion is cereal. You know, I got up the other morning to have some cold cereal. You know how I love cold cereal, shredded wheat, the Mm -hmm. frosted mini wheats. Mm -hmm. And the bag had not been folded up and all of the mini wheats were soggy. I mean, they weren't crispy. Did you not close the bag the last time you had the frosted mini wheats? You know, I don't believe that I need to close bags. I don't feel that that's part of my job in this relationship. You know, I feel like that's your job. You're the bag closer. I'm the bag opener. I'm the bag opener. No, I'm the bag. Oh, opener. you're the bag. Opener. You're the bag closer. Well, obviously, yeah, because yeah. you never close. Yeah. Well, I've got to tell you that that makes me really, really sad. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but you know, I feel like we both have roles to play in this relationship. That's just how I feel. I'm going to hold my ground on this. I'm never going to close a bag of cereal. Would that go along with a bag of potato chips? Bag of potato chips. I'm not going to close, you know, that little twisty thing on the bread. Yeah. I'm never going to twist that. (laughs) You know, here's what I think we should agree to do then. Okay. I think we should agree never to have any food in this house that is in a bag. Bags Only are bad. Bagless food. So just bagless like, food. Like meat and fruit, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe handfuls of grain. Yeah. Sounds like we're going to be eating pretty healthy. Actually, I would be healthy. What about leftovers? Would you close up a bag for leftovers? I want to say yes, but I'm going to say no. No, I wouldn't ever do that. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. You know, I got to say that I really don't like this approach to food. Yeah. But as long as we can agree never 
to bring. I mean, never. I never yeah. want to see a bagged item in this house again. Okay. As long as we can agree to that. I think we can get on that same page. Okay. Now, in that spirit, I'd like to propose one of the things that I really am tired of uh-huh. is I'm tired of flushing the toilet. I would like to suggest that I never flush the toilet again. Yeah. And when you use a toilet, you just come in and flush it for me and then go about your business. So you feel like that's going to be a good trade-off for the no bag. Well, okay, but you've said that we can't have bags in the house. Right. So I'm going to counter with this offer. How about we don't use the toilet in the house anymore and we just go to the bathroom outside? I think I could live with that. Okay. I think See, I could live with that. See, this is what relationships are all about. It's about compromise. <laughs> it's about learning about the other person, what yeah. they need. And well, you're going to be one of the more interesting cubicle mates I've ever had. <laughs> okay. We mean, and seen. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. All right. That was fun. Yeah. Great fun. Yeah. Well, I feel that like really this stretches been... your mind. I'm fatigued. <laughs> <laughs> you're right there in the moment and you're right. reaching down and trying to come up with something and... Sometimes it comes easy and sometimes not, but... Right. Well, great principles, great teaching moment. Yeah. This is fun. I think this is going to be a good podcast. This is going to be a great podcast. All right. Well, I'm happy that we got the first one on tape and we're excited to get this out there. We will be delivering these. Do you want to commit to a weekly basis? Yeah. Let's do them on a weekly basis. Commit. You're going to be teaching the next one. Do you want to tease what it is or should we just let people tune in to find out? I think we let them tune in. All right. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.